and welcome to another Guildhall School podcast. Today we're talking about Swan Song, which is the latest music theatre piece devised by renowned pianist and Guildhall professor Ian Burnside, uh, who I'm very pleased to say joins us today, along with actor Harvey Cole, lighting designer James McKeough and soprano Isabel Peters. Thanks very much for joining us, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Great pleasure. Hello. Uh, so Swan Song is the... Schubert's 14 swan songs, which are, you, you've collected and, you, and you've interspersed them with monologues from six characters as, as well. Well, let me just stop you right oh, there, Mark. Oh, okay. I have not collected them. Well, they, they, have... they were collected by a publisher called Tobias Hasslinger after Schubert died. And he thought it was a good idea to make a buck by um, publishing them together, uh, which Schubert hadn't really intended to do. And now okay. they are this thing called Schwanengesang, which is mm -hmm. German for swan song, and received opinion has it they, they are the third great Schubert song cycle. So I've never been completely convinced by this that we should take it as that, mm. as the great little man didn't really mean that at any point. So that was in a way the starting point for this project, that mm. uh, we do indeed do all the songs in the order that they're printed and normally performed in. Yeah. But all the... Um, monologues that the actors do, they all shed light on Schubert in some way or on this work in some way. And the idea is that it makes the singers who sing the songs think about it a bit. The actors who play different characters think about it a bit. And with luck, the audience go away scratching their heads and perhaps looking at this undoubted masterpiece in a slightly different way. Mm. And so was it was it the fact that you don't agree that it, it's, it's potentially a, a collected thing? Was that the original kernel for you of... What can I do with this? What It was one of several kernels. I, I, I'm, I'm playing it a lot this year, uh, wearing my being a pianist hat. And in concert, it's a funny piece because even though every song in it is marvellous, I've never really thought it works if you just do it straight through because some of the later songs are so bleak. If you do them all together, it's just like having too much of the one colour on a wall or mm. too many of the same plants in a garden. And if I were starting from scratch, which I'm not, I would break them up and do them in a different order. And also it's not long enough to make a full concert. So when you're doing it in recital, you kind of have to do something with it. And it's just a bit of a weird piece from that point of view. So yeah, one of the impetuses was what on earth do you do with this thing? Mm. And what actually is it? And so where did the, the, the monologues come from? How did you decide like who was going to speak which well, one? And they all came from different places because another starting point was one of the characters that we hear from is rather bizarrely that English poet and composer Ivor Gurney, who I've done a piece in this wonderful Guildhall School about before. And um, I was sent a whole bunch of unpublished Ivor Gurney poems by mm. a mate who's involved in the Gurney industry. And I came on this poem called Franz Schubert. And it's a very beautiful poem. I don't entirely understand it. But I think it's fantastic. And I thought, oh, this would be great to have in there. And then when I was thinking about having different characters and different responses, I thought it'd be lovely if we could work this in. So Ivor Gurney is rather bizarrely the first person that you see on stage coming in. And, and then he tells us that he's going to write a poem. And then at the end, he reads the poem. Mm. And what's it been like bringing all these, these different pieces together to make one cohesive performance here? Well, I'd love to think it might be cohesive. Uh, I don't think we're quite <laughs> at that stage yet. Uh, we have to, and maybe we won't, maybe it won't cohere. We have to see. I mean, mm. all these pieces are a kind of work in progress and this will be the first time we've done it properly. We did a kind of version of it in Ireland with um, people from the Irish equivalent of the acting school here at the Guildhall. But well, that was chucked together 
very quick notice. This is the first proper performance, and it might turn out that it's a terrible piece, in which case we change it and tweak it or even put it in the bin. You can't really <laughs> tell until you're doing these things. It yeah. all seems a good idea at the time. Yeah. And I'm so grateful to the guild holder that they let me muck around like this. But if it turns out it's a terrible piece, then we'll think again. And maybe the monologues are too short. Maybe they're too long. You can't really tell till you see it in the space with them in costume and with lights mm. and all the rest of it and the singers doing their stuff. So we have to see. Yeah. And how, how are you guys finding bringing together music, songs, piano and monologues interspersed about, about Schubert's life? How are you finding that, that process and how is it informing your, it's, your performances? It's or? really great. It's enriching because I think... A lot of the time when you're studying in music conservatoire, we do recitals in a kind of restricted way, which mm. is fine. Um, but it's often nice to break those boundaries and explore the pieces in a different way, contextually. And and doing that through this project has been really lovely, um, I think, for the musicians and the and the actors. And have the monologues and the the, the extra information given you a different idea of about the songs and their context and has that informed your Yeah, it really has. Way, I think yeah. and it's um the music informs the monologues and the characters and their world and in turn their the characters monologues inform our world so we come on with a kind of flavor that they've just left us with. So that kind of exchange is really um is really lovely to be around mm. in in a sort of working environment. Mm. Um and understanding contextually uh and musically, actually, um, what goes into the pieces and maybe um, we sort of, we go and we have a look at the piece that we're looking at and we look at it, we look at the dots on the page and and what we interpret the poem to be and we mm. have a little sort of rummage around. Um, but I think hearing it from contemporaries or um, of Schubert, sorry, and um, people who enjoyed listening to his works after he died and so on and it just gives different dimensions and different things to think about, which mm. is really important for musicians, I think. And how about you, Harvey, as, a, as an actor coming in with to do a, a monologue as as Brahms? Mm. How has it been to approach that, and how have you found the music informing your your own? Yeah, it's very. It was very interesting because I remember the first time uh, we read the script through. Ian was trying to talk to me about the song that had preceded and followed the 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 monologues that are sort of segmented all the way through and i hadn't heard the these these pieces of music before mm. so it was difficult to grasp the sort of emotion and the and the trajectory of the journey that ian was talking about and the other week we did a run through uh, all together everyone in the room which was a was a really critical point because it highlighted as as an actor this you know like it would in a, a production or a play what's come before and, and what sort of gives you the momentum to, to lead you on. And that was a, a really lovely thing to experience mm. because I thought it would be the the timetable would be too busy and we would rehearse sort of, you know, I can slot the actors in here and, and then we have the singers here and it wouldn't come together till very late. But to work together from such an early stage has been really encouraging because we can interact with each other and hear the sounds and the pieces of music that have been written and why these monologues or these poems have all sort of culminated and I imagine for you Ian it's quite interesting to to see the process develop as the the weeks go on and we near we near the first performance of bringing these disparate pieces together and and that's that's why we rehearse yeah no it's very exciting this is we're getting into the fun bit now yeah no (laughs) 
And when we get lights into it and the visual mm. dimension explores, we're not in the theater yet. And that, yeah. that is really exciting when you go in there yeah. and into the proper space, because however much you mark up a studio, it's not quite the it's same. It's not quite the same, yeah. Going into where it's really going to happen, so. Yeah. <laughs> and James, you just come off our production of uh, Four Short Martin Crimp Plays, as all listeners to the podcast will know, because they've, they've already heard your dulcet tones. Um, how, how did that go for you? And how did that process and that experience change how you're approaching this one, or did you already have quite a sort of set idea of what you wanted to do? In a sense, as as, as everyone's kind of touched upon, the challenge here is 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 not necessarily that we're lighting lighting a production, and we're not and we're certainly not lighting a concert. Mm. So it, it's finding the middle boundary, and and using lighting to assist as we can, mm. showing this production element, showing this performance side, as well as displaying the music and keeping a focus on the music at the relevant time and doing that in such a way that, you know, we, we've, we've all seen concerts lit. We've all seen, you know, as, as was said earlier, I think it's, it can, it can be quite stereo, it can be quite bland in a sense. And so of course we could do that, but we're not going to, because what we'd like to add is the performance element, the, mm. the magic and the, and, and help tell the story through that. So that's the challenge with this for me in relation to the previous play, the staging is completely different mm. for, for Swan Song, which is great. The nature of the studio space is that it's so changeable and, mm. and we're so flexible with what we can do. The set designer, Oscar Selfridge, is also has a lot of flexibility with what he can do and working with him and working with Ian, we can we can help, I can help certainly, and, and, and Oscar can as well, help tell this story and tell and, and add, our, add our performance element to it. Mm. to separate that concert element a little bit. I think James was struggling not to call the concert format boring there. So I'm, <laughs> going, to, I'm going to come out and use that word because one of the reasons that I started doing this whole strand of work at the mm. Guildhall, which I've been doing for over a decade now, is that I have to be honest, I find a lot of concerts really, really dull. I find the, the, the format inherently... Um, Bloodless. Of course, there can be marvelous concerts with very, very simple a simple piano recital, a voice and piano recital, a symphony concert. They can all be sublime. Mm. But they're very formulaic. And I'm very conscious that for the generation of these guys sitting around me mm. here, uh, they're, they're here at this music college, so I'm preaching the converted here. They're here because they love this whole area. But a lot of their contemporaries. They think on their mobiles, they're, they think on screens, they have short attention spans. They're going to have to make things like Schubert, things like Shakespeare, sexy and relevant to their generation. Mm. This is a far from original observation. Mm. But how I come in at that is to think, well, what can we do about this? Can, let's just, let's just, I'm not trying to in any way invalidate the normal concert or theatre thing, but but by coming up with a hybrid like this, mm. it's just to, just to break the pattern a bit. Yeah. And, and I find that, that, as Isabel mentioned, for singers, well, singers love concerts where they don't have to sing the whole time, where they have a little rest <laughs> and something else happens. And audience, to, to, in my experience, audiences listen to words differently if mm. there's music in between and listen to music differently if there's words in between. Mm. So what you're doing is you're asking of your audience. Here it's going, it's like a... It's like a a club sandwich or a meal feuille, if we want a different <laughs> culinary analogy, because it, it goes sing talk, sing talk, sing talk. So the, the, there's a slight Wimbledon aspect to this for the audience, <laughs> and they're going from one to the other. And because Schubert, I, my job is in a way easier because the music is absolutely great music. Mm. So 
you can't lose with Schubert because they're singing really phenomenal, great masterworks of Western civilization, really. And then there, I've got my pokey little monologues in between. <laughs> so uh, it's a contrast thing for the listeners. And I know that at least half the time they're in a sublime space with mm. Schubert. So I'm just trying to give them a bit of relief from that in every sense. And how have, how have you guys found it? Obviously, you're, especially as a, as a singer, Isabel, you've already discussed a bit how the, the, the monologues have helped inform the context of the songs and mm. that kind of thing. But how have you, has it been particularly challenging to, to, to do a performance in this way with the, in, a, in one of our theatres with, with the, the lighting and the costumes and the set that's going to come and with the actors involved as well? Um, I wouldn't say it's been challenging. I think it's been enriching, if anything. Mm. Um, it's informed our performances and uh, it hasn't taken anything away. And I think this experience has allowed us all to relax and in the working space together it's 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 fun and it's we're bouncing off each other and it's that's what's been really nice and can you can you give us any hints about what what, what, the, what it's going to look like at the end oh i think it's gonna look amazing um oscar is <laughs> oscar is working on a, a series of pillars i suppose you'd call them yeah. and uh onto which at different angles are um attached uh, vertical images of old Vienna in black and white, almost like mm. postcards, mm. because Vienna is kind of a character in in the piece. All in all, it's one of the things that we kind of explore under there. It's it's kind of about Vienna. It's kind of about sex. It's a bit about the changing role of women. There are various undercurrents that run mm. all the way through, and so Oscar has brought out this idea that Vienna is there, and so there are these pillars <clears throat> which can either represent real Vienna, as for example, we have. Um, Brahms, Harvey's character, mm-hmm. is actually in the, at the, as he speaks, he's in Vienna, although he's not from Vienna, as is discussed in the piece. Yes. So that is, that is, in a sense, a real environment for him. Whereas for Ivor Gurney, Vienna is a fantasy land in his mind. He, he was never anywhere near there, but it's present in his thinking. So is it real? Is it not? You know, the, 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 we're playing with those grey areas. And where, you, and where you asked about the challenges, that, that summer where... I can assist in that challenge in, in, mm. in the way that we, we take these vertical images and, and do, we, do we have them so present and bold in the scene or do we, do we set them back? And, and working with Ian and, and Oscar to, to kind of help tell the story in any way we can, it's, it's about enhancing and, and, and showing that story. James, I think you just invented an amazing lighting word, which was a glimmage. And I think that's a brilliant word. Yeah, I think you did. So somewhere between an image and a glimmer, I think you, I think you've you've just, I think that's fantastic. In years to come, that's going to be on the syllabus here. You are in the the glimmage business. (laughs) And what are you all most looking forward to about, about the next, the next few steps in the process? And I mean, I imagine maybe getting into the theatres, the next one and seeing everything come together. I'm looking forward to drinks in the bar once it's all safely, (laughs) safely been put to bed. But uh, no, well, well, I, I think, um, so I'm yet to have worked on a production here that has been uh, sort of lit properly and, and with uh, costumes. So that, uh, as amongst performing the yeah. actual piece and exploring the, the sort of flow, I guess, between, between the speeches and monologues, is something that I'm really looking forward to. Mm. Uh, it's not an experience or project that I thought I was initially going to be involved in. Uh, Martin uh, let us know sort of, fairly early on in the term and then it quite quickly came about and the the ball sort of started rolling from there so it's it's moving quite fast but it's also a nice thing to have as well as the sort of core syllabus that we're working on the restoration Mm. 
comedies that we're doing at the moment. So it'll be nice to, because there's only a few of us as well, to have that sort of break away and to explore something else. I'm looking forward to all of it coming together conceptually for me um, with costume and lighting and mm. getting into the space um, to kind of realise how the interaction works between the actors and the music and that sort of thing. Yeah, looking forward to that. I personally, you know, I had any opportunity to combine two of the things that I love, music and theatre, and and as I say, help tell that story in any way I can and enhance it and, and see it form and come together as a complete work um, is I think the most exciting thing. And open as we approach opening night mm. very quickly, even though it, it does feel a little bit away at the moment, it will be here tomorrow like that, no doubt. Yeah. And uh, as we get close to opening night and that stress builds up and we're all making sure that it's as best as it can be. And then that relief when we open and that's it, that's all we can do. And then we'd be happy with what we've created. Mm. The other thing I'd like to add that Harvey basically um, hinted at is um, it's taken me, I've worked here for several decades. I started working here when I was about the age of these guys here. And here I am, old and bald. Only a and, few years ago. Then. Yeah, right. And it's ta- Thank you, Harvey. Your next job is secure. Thank you. And it's taken me all this time to realise why there are so few projects in which the music and um, drama departments mm. overlap because, the, of course, they work in completely different ways. They're totally different timetables. Mm. And people who sort of look through the school window, as it were, think, oh, why, 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 why doesn't this happen more often? Well, it, it, happen, it doesn't happen because, for extremely good reasons, because the acting department works along extremely um, rigorous lines, which mm. are tried and tested and which, which end up producing these phenomenal actors who all come out and become Hollywood stars very quickly. Mm. And I have such an amazing uh, success rate in the profession. And the whole music side, graduate and undergraduate, work in a completely different time scale, time. Their time is divided entirely differently. Mm. So I just have to do a big shout out to the drama department mm. for giving me these six fantastic actors <laughs> at the times I need them and making this happen because it's not easy from a scheduling point of view. In fact, I'm making various people's lives misery by <laughs> asking for these things. And it, it, it's really not a small thing to make that happen. Mm. When I hope when people come and see it from the outside, they'll think it's all just glorious harmony yes. and happy happily ever after but it's really been uh it's really been very generous of the drama department to uh let these guys out and it, it, i hadn't actually realized that this will be your first public performance within the school that's fantastic yes yeah it is all, all of the work and showings up until now are sort of just regarded as uh an open rehearsal mm. so yeah. even though staff and other students come and see it yeah the, the first you're hermetically sealed yes mm. the first public performance won't be in you know the, the crimps for example is is the first public showing that they've done. So, but you know, it's it's a great experience and something that I hope people will come and enjoy, regardless of the quality of what we're doing. Yeah, <laughs> to next judge, year when you get into us. the studio theatre, you'll be like, I know, yeah. I, know, I know this place. Yes, yeah, I feel at home. Yeah. Well, a huge thank you to Ian, Harvey, James, and Isabel for joining us on the podcast today, and um, best of luck for the performances. Uh, Swan Song takes place on the fourth and fifth of November in the Milton Court Studio Theatre. And sadly, the performances are sold out, but you might be lucky enough to get a a return on the day if you try your luck at the Barbican box office. You can follow and subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and everywhere else you get your podcasts. And follow us on social media. We're at Guildhall School on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Thanks again, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. much.